Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 374 of the podcast. Joining me today are two colleagues who work together in a health system. They are Brittany Wilson and Mark Valenti. The topic, as Mark and I discussed back in episode 306, is motivational interviewing. All of us will be exploring this topic in today's episode in the context of talking to people about wearing masks during the pandemic. But there are many applications of what we're discussing in workplace situations of all types as well. Mark and Brittany, as they'll mention, they do a series of um, really engaging webinars. I really love the format and and the way they um, go about things. You, You can find recordings on their YouTube channel that they call Activation Station. So if you want to find links to um, their their videos, their YouTube channel, their LinkedIn profiles, and links to um, some of the past episodes that we reference in our discussion today, you can find all of that by going to leanblog.org slash 374. So again, our guests today are Brittany Wilson and Mark Valenti. Thanks to the both of you for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, our pleasure. So I'm going to start with introductions. Um, If you can tell the listeners a little bit about your professional background before we dive into our topics today. Uh, Brittany, if you'd like to go first. Sure. So my name is Brittany Wilson, and I'm a registered nurse. I've been a practicing clinician for 10 years now, um, and I more recently transitioned to the role of learning and development coach. And Mark. Yeah, Mark Valenti, and uh, I have a, let's say, a lot of uh, variations in my background. I've been everything from a practice manager in primary care to director to behavioral health and research and uh, worked a lot with other organizations on the side, including the National Board of Medical Examiners on creating test questions. And I work with Brittany as we coach healthcare professionals on how they communicate with patients. And, and I think that role of coaching is, uh, is, is really important. And we're going to talk about um, coaching and, and leadership and um, you know, trying to help others here today. And you know, one of the ways this is framed, and, you know, as we talked about back in episode 306, for anybody who wants to go back um, and, and, and listen to that, you can find it uh, leanblog.org slash 306. Mark and I talked about uh, motivational interviewing um, but for maybe, you know, if people haven't listened to that episode from 2018, Mark, can you give a, a brief overview of motivational interviewing for us? Absolutely, Mark. It's, uh, you know, I know that you have really been trying to mesh motivational interviewing strategies and philosophies with lean. And obviously, some of that comes pretty naturally. So I know this is a particularly passionate idea for you. Mm-hmm. So I just want to give a couple of updates about motivational interviewing, a couple of bits of information. The goal of motivational interviewing, quite simply, is helping people change. So as we're working with patients, with families, with coworkers, with everybody around us, if our goal is to help somebody change their behavior, then motivational interviewing would apply. And, you know, I often, and I know you've had him on one of your shows before, refer to Dan Pink, the author of Drive, Mm -hmm. The Surprising Truth About What Motivates Us. And he talks about three levels of motivation. He talks about as human beings, we have a biological drive, which is really connecting to 
how do we make sure that we have the food and the water and the shelter and all the basics that we look at as uh, being a human being. Once those basic needs are met, we upgrade to extrinsic motivation, really looking at outside uh, carrot and stick mentality, or perhaps our wanting approval from other people. The ultimate goal, though, is the third level of motivation, which is intrinsic motivation, meaning we're doing things because we want to get better. We're doing it because we believe in it. And motivational interviewing is really trying to guide people to that point. You know, and again, people can go back and reference the previous podcast, but there are four steps to motivational interviewing, engaging, getting to know somebody, what do they fear, what do they value, focusing the conversation on the intended behavior change, evoking, pulling out the other person's perspective on their ideas to change. And finally, planning, working together and coming up with a meaningful plan to really try to drive that behavior change. It goes back to the behavior change triangle, which says there's three elements of behavior change that must be there before somebody makes a change. The first one is knowledge. Does somebody have the knowledge to make a change? If somebody, for instance, is struggling with managing their diabetes, do they even have the knowledge of understanding what carbohydrates do to uh, their health? Uh, after knowledge, importance. So does somebody put an importance on the behavior change? For instance, somebody who's struggling with smoking, you know, they may understand that inhaling the smoke damages their lungs, but maybe it's not that important for them to change. Maybe they think, you know what, I'm 80 years old. I don't care anyway right now. And it's more important that I live my life. Finally, the third element of behavior change is confidence. So somebody who's really struggling with, for instance, Oh, I don't know. Let's say it's in the office and somebody's struggling with implementing lean in their office and, and uh, huddle boards. They may put a huge importance on it. They may f- understand the importance of it and they may understand why they do it, but their confidence is low. They're struggling with the concepts. They're struggling with implementing that change. And finally, there are four strategies of motivational interviewing. And this is how well the change agent is really connecting with the other person to drive that change. The first strategy is expressing empathy. How, do they, how does the change agent convey an understanding and grasping the other person's perspective and experience? The second strategy is promoting partnership, which is really conveying an understanding and expertise and wisdom about the change resides in the other person. Softening sustained talk, which is guiding the conversation away from the verbalization of the status quo. So if somebody's Struggling with eating four Big Macs for dinner, you know, it's the same talk is I really like those four Big Macs. Uh, it's all I know versus cultivating change talk, which is really guiding the conversation to the person's own language in favor of the change goal and confidence for making that change. So if they're eating four Big Macs and they say, I feel really dehydrated because of all the salt, we want the change agent to guide the conversation about the negatives of that status quo behavior. So I know that's a lot that I just talked about, but those are the high level points of motivational interviewing. Yeah. So maybe, you know, one thing that's always, um, I I think, been really impactful about the motivational interviewing frameworks and methodologies is, you know, this idea of, you know, we're we're often so tempted, we we, we sort of want to force someone to change and, and that seems unrealistic or even maybe it's disrespectful or it's not you know, in a spirit of partnership. Um, but, you know, the, the, so I think the follow-up question related to that, if you can elaborate, is, you know, so I think sometimes people get labeled as, you know, quote-unquote resistant to a change or it's framed in a, in a binary way. They're either in favor of the change or they're opposed or they're resistant. Um, can, can, can you talk a little bit about 
you know, the, this idea of strengthening commitment and, and how this is maybe not so binary. Yeah, it's a great point, Mark. You know, as human beings, we're all complex individuals and we all have our own drive that gets us up in the morning and also the things that keep us up late at night uh, worrying about those things. And the idea behind this is, is that the moment we label people, we say things like, well, that person's a generation Xer, or that person is a female, and this is the way that I expect her to react, or that person has a history of anxiety, so here's how I expect them to react. Motivational interviewing says, instead of making assumptions and labeling, let's try to really understand what is going on with that person. And it says that motivation changes day to day sometimes. So maybe somebody is all excited about their workplace, for instance, maybe going back to January as an example, and there's a new initiative about chronic condition self-management in, in your office. And let's just say you're a nurse and that person, that nurse is super excited about it. Well, guess what? Some things change in their world and in the world around them mm-hmm. where all of a sudden they're less invested in that because that nurse is worried about their own job. Whereas in January, they would have been innovative and come up with some really great cool ideas about how to approach this. Maybe they see on the news about people losing their job and all of a sudden they're like, well, maybe I don't want to try this new initiative. Maybe we shouldn't take this risk because I could lose my job here. Mm -hmm. So that person is not quote unquote resistant to the change. Their perspective on the world and their ideas about what's important to them change as other things change around them. So to your point, it's not binary. Yes, this person is resistant. No, this person isn't. It's recognizing that individual's motivation, reasons for doing things, reason for getting up in the morning changes day to day and not assuming things based on labeling that person. Yeah. Well, that, that's very helpful. And I think we can explore, um, you know, some of the finer points of this and, and reinforce what you've said through some of the examples and, um, scenarios that we're, that we're going to talk about today. So thank you uh, for that, Mark. And I, I was also going to mention, I'm going to give a little mini plug for another past episode. You mentioned Dan Pink and his book Drive. Um, you know, I was really fortunate to have a chance to interview him back in episode 107, if people want to go back and, and listen uh, to, to Dan Pink and I talking about connections between you know the lean approach and, and what he uh, wrote about in, in his fantastic book Drive. Um, so, Brittany, let, let's turn things um, over to you here. Um, if you can elaborate on uh, motivational interviewing and, and, and how the approach that you use uh, is different than what some other organizations or leaders might do. Yeah, sure. Thank you. So, um, motivational interviewing, like Mark said, right, is about really kind of honing in on autonomy and realizing that everybody's unique and everybody's driven by unique things. And we also have to realize, right, that this is an imperfect world that we live in and people waver in their own confidence and that is expected. Uh, recently, uh, we started embracing this term called wabi-sabi, which is the Japanese art of imperfect beauty. Mm-hmm. And it's really about accepting the natural cycle of growth and decay in which everything has beauty. And that beauty is imperfect, impermanent, and incomplete, much like people who are always growing always learning and always changing. Hmm. And that's what makes our approach different. Okay. Yeah. That, I mean, that's, 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 uh, there's a lot to think about there of, um, I mean, if you think about commitment to change, um, I'll, I'll admit to having, you know, kind of a, maybe a lifelong perfectionist 
streak. And 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 you know, I'm I'm, I'm not trying to get on the uh, uh, on, on the proverbial couch here, but um, but I just wanted to share that you know, like what 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 you're talking about there of embracing the imperfection. Like I think kind of the personal reflection is, um, you know, if we're struggling with change, to not be too hard on ourselves. Is that maybe one way of, of uh, sort of adapting what you said there? Yeah, absolutely. Well, not being too hard on ourselves, right, as the person maybe trying to make the change and not being too hard on ourselves as the provider, thinking we're responsible um, mm. for everybody's decisions as well. Mm, okay. And, and so I think this is where the idea of partnership comes in or, if, or you know, in my reading and study of motivational interviewing, there's this, this idea of the dance of change and that dance may be imperfect, but it's, it's helping or that's what we are hoping and checking for perhaps. Um, yeah. So, so Mark, back, back to you here. I mean, how, what, what are your thoughts about, how motivational interviewing or you know, this idea of embracing imperfection, how, how does that connect to everything that's going on right now in particular, um, you know, the COVID pandemic and what we're, what we're facing and figuring out? Yeah. So Mark, that's a, that's a great question. It's definitely a, it's always a relevant topic, but it seems to be particularly relevant right now. And I think, you know, Brittany outlined that approach that makes us different is, you know, we, instead of glossing over, as a lot of organizations do, because honestly, talking about emotions, talking about imperfections, it's difficult. You just, you know, again, self-revealed yourself that sometimes you struggle with a perfection paralysis. Mm -hmm. I think what makes our whole entire approach different is we say, let's talk about it. Let's start from the idea that we are imperfect and how do we identify and embrace that and expect it and move forward. And I think when it comes to, COVID and, and of course, all of the um, discussions that are going on right now when it comes to racial inequality and just mm -hmm. all the uh, political conversations, especially in yet another election year, mm -hmm. instead of avoiding that, we want to sort of delve into it and say, well, you know, it's okay that we're feeling certain ways right now. Let's talk a bit about that. And what I have here, and Brittany and I put this together, is just some examples of statements that we may hear. And as the listeners you know, listen to this segment that you're, you're doing here, I would invite them to sort of reflect on what are their immediate reactions to some of these statements that we're going to read off. And again, pause and say, okay, what is that reaction about? So a couple examples, about five different examples here. Um, we're actually going to hear, Britain, we're, Brittany and I are going to kind of talk about some of these examples and we invite the listeners to, to think about it. So Brittany, do you want to give an example of a statement that may evoke emotion from people? Yeah. So say you heard a patient saying, hmm, I think the mask wearing is just for at-risk old people in nursing homes. Yeah. Or perhaps you hear a politician on the TV say something like, masks need to be worn to flatten the curve and save lives. It doesn't matter how long we have to stay closed. Or maybe you've heard a family member say, I can't believe people who won't wear masks over the inconvenience. They must not care about people's lives. Or perhaps you're in the office and let's say a medical assistant coworker of yours says, I can't believe I have to wear this mask outside all day. These tan lines. Or maybe you've even heard things from your doctor, like masks are most effective for preventing the spread for people who have symptoms or are COVID positive. Don't people read the CDC website? 
And those are just some examples. And again, invite the, the listener to say, you know, what emotions am I experiencing? Maybe you didn't react to the patient's comment about mask wearing being just at risk for old people. Maybe you felt more strongly about the politician statement. And again, what makes our approach unique is during our trainings that we do and during our conversations with people, we want people to be without emotion. In Western society, particularly, we always seem to push our emotions down and pretend they don't exist. So we want people to sort of assess what their emotional response is to these things. And I think that's where it starts because those emotions are going to be there anyway. And if we push them down, they come out in other ways, particularly around the topics of the day that cause a lot of emotions. So again, just some examples of statements that have an initial reaction and motivational interviewing is identifying what your reactions are and shaping your conversation in a more objective person-centered way. Mm. And so, you know, I think there's an opportunity like if, if listeners literally want to uh, hit pause on the episode and, and think about this a little bit, um, but, you know, just kind of recap um, what, what, what I, what I hear you saying, Mark is, um, we're sort of kind of connecting a couple of thoughts here. One is, um, uh, you know, to be aware of our emotional response. And I, it seemed like there's also a connection to this idea of embracing imperfection. We, we may respond to certain situations um, and, and feel like, wait a minute, you know, oh, I'm being judgmental. Um, is that really helpful? Or I might feel like, well, I'm being dismissive. Like, well, who cares about tan lines? You, you could just wear sunscreen. I mean, like there's just a couple <laughs> examples right. of emotions I felt along the way. Um, you know, I think, you know, being aware of that, but what, you know, what are your thoughts around kind of our, our reactions to our emotions in, in the moment is, is this, is this a point to kind of embrace imperfection? Yeah, great connection back to that, Mark. Absolutely. You know, oftentimes we have negative emotions, you know, emotions that perhaps cause us stress and anxiety. So we may, for instance, judge the medical assistant who talked about tan lines. And again, it's less about judging mm -hmm. that person, but also about judging your own emotions. So what happens is, is let's just say I'm listening to that and I say, oh, I can't believe that person said that. In my mind, I say that. But then all of a sudden I say, oh, I can't believe I felt that way about that person. Mm -hmm. So part of it is it can go down a spiral where you actually end up getting more anxiety, you know, anxiety because of the conversation. Mm -hmm. And we actually teach a course on cognitive distortions, which are sort of the, the things that go around in our head, for instance, where we make assumptions, we personalize things that happen around us, but it uses a lot of psychological energy. And the more that your battery is drained with thinking about these things and judging your own actions, it takes away the energy you have to help other people change as well. Mm -hmm. So our approach is really, again, which makes us unique, really a lot of self-reflection and, you know, getting yourself to a point where you show compassion to yourself so you can show compassion and empathy toward others. And, you know, that we're, we're going to go through, um, I, I know um, the two of you have prepared um, a couple case studies um, and um, looking forward to that. But, you know, I just wanted to kind of share, maybe, you know, this helps tee up or you, you can comment on it. Um, you know, I, I'm, you know, uh, I, I am, uh, uh, I, I embrace the idea of wearing um, masks when I'm around others, you know, it's, uh, you know, from my perspective, not just trying to protect myself, but trying to help um, protect others. And you know, kind of just share a quick scenario that I was in. Um, I, I had to fly. My wife and I are in the process of relocating. And even, you know, the idea of flying isn't great right now. 
um, I was on a, a flight and the airline um, had a stated policy that masks are required. And, um, you know, passenger next to me sat down during boarding and didn't have a mask on. And I'll, I'll admit, or, you know, part of my reflections here is uh, I, I was not treating this as an opportunity to try to practice motivational interviewing. Uh, I've, I've, I've been thinking about this. I, I reacted in, um, I think, you know, is, uh, my writing reflex, R-I-G-H-T-I-N-G, writing yes. reflex, um, really kicked in. In my view, this guy is not wearing a mask. I wanted him to wear a mask. And so, you know, I asked him basically, why are you not wearing a mask? Which wow. I was, I mean, it, that really wasn't a question. It was more, you know, I was, I was saying, I thought you're, you know, I, I would prefer that you wear a mask. And he put the mask on for a while and then he had it off for like 80% of the flight. And I didn't really, you know, for a number of reasons, I, I didn't feel comfortable confronting him um, about that. But, you know, you know, maybe your case studies would help frame um, some ways that I could have perhaps handled that more effectively. Um, or I'm, I'm, I'm curious, you know, I mean, you know, to your reactions to that situation or how would you coach me? Or if you just want to go into the case examples, that's fine too. Yeah. Yeah. You can briefly comment. And of course I'd invite Brittany to comment as well. I, you know, first of all, it says a lot that you are willing to talk about this and, you know, the journey that you had in that, in that situation on, on the plane, um, because, being able to talk through this, especially publicly like this, you know, says a lot about your courage and your wanting to learn and grow. So I just want to commend you on that. Uh, and, you know, the other part of it is, is you just demonstrated again, as human beings, we're fallible and we have emotions. And even someone like you, Mark, who understands the concepts, who's constantly working on improving the concepts says that we're not perfect all the time. You know, we're not perfect a lot of the time. In fact, we're not perfect at all. And even Brittany and I often get into situations where maybe we didn't eat yet that day, or maybe we're worried about other things that impact our abilities. So again, we want to commend you for kind of walking through that, you know, and I think the other part of this is Mark, you know, you are able to identify your feelings and your trigger. You know, we talk obviously a lot about emotional intelligence and that self-awareness and you're somebody who talks through that. You know, the second part of that self-management and really deciding what do I do with this information, um, you said yourself that perhaps that may not have been the, the best approach. So I'm wondering, you know, for you, whenever you've been able to resist your writing reflex in the past, because you have, because I know you've, you've done this before, how have you been able to do that in the past whenever you've been able to resist your writing reflex when you know in your mind you wanted to say something, but you didn't? Well, so, I mean, I, th I think to the situation on the plane, um, you know, as opposed to workplace scenarios, um, there, there, there wasn't really, um, you know, a partnership being developed between me and that other patient, uh, passenger that might have been unrealistic considering we didn't know each other. I mean, we were partners in kind of sharing seats that were connected for three hours, but, um, you know, there, there, there was, there was no relationship and, and I admittedly made no attempts to establish rapport or build um, any sort of relationship. I, I didn't take time to try to understand um, his perspective where I think, you know, in workplaces where we have existing relationships or longer term relationships, um, you know, we, we, we make that investment of following the steps and using these strategies. I, I, I admittedly didn't express empathy. I was, I was being, 
really judgmental about this passenger not wearing a mask. I was confused and I was judgmental because I thought I was confused because I thought a mask was required for boarding and that seemed not to happen. So um, right. I, I don't, you know, th those, I guess, are, you know, the first thoughts that come to mind kind of reflecting back to that situation where, um, you know, when we talk about motivational interviewing as helping someone else change, he wasn't giving permission to me to help him change. Right. That's right. You know, maybe, thank, so maybe MI wasn't appropriate um, for that situation anyway, but I could have, I still probably could have handled it better. But well, and you know, I think that you, you brought up a really great point, right? Because you said that he wore the mask 80% mm -hmm. of the times. So it wasn't the full time. He was it was off eight. No, it was off 80%. Oh, it was off 80% of the time. Okay. So I misunderstood that. So you didn't get him to the change that you wanted. And I think that really shows how difficult it is to get people to change their behaviors. Um, and amongst this pandemic, right? Um, we were asked as a nation, as a world, to change a lot of very common behaviors. Um, and that automatically, right, takes that drive that Mark talked about from intrinsic motivation all the way down to sometimes extrinsic, sometimes 1.0, where you're biologic. You're just trying to get by day to day. So I think that this is a perfect example of how difficult behavior change is. Yeah. Yeah. So this, this, uh, this, this guy next to me, may have been reacting. He did put the mask on, but may, you know, it, was, it wasn't self-motivated. I mean, he might've been thinking, oh, I'll shut this guy up. Oh, I'll put on a mask. Maybe he'll fall asleep and I'll take the mask off. Right? You know, I, you know, I, don't, I, I, can't, I can only guess what he might've been thinking. But yeah, his, his commitment to change was um, uh, not very, it, didn't, it wasn't demonstrated as being very strong. Well, right. And, and your goal of the behavior change seems like at least uh, that he change it in front of you. But um, say he was able to do that. So you talked him into wearing this mask for this flight. What are the odds that he's going to go home and continue to do that or continue to promote that? Um, and I think that uh, that kind of goes to show, right, why we have to take time to evoke from uh, anybody we're talking with that we want a behavior change, what their perspective is and why. You know, is it a medical reason? Is it a belief reason? Um, is it a you've done different research or, or misinformed? We talk about that knowledge triangle, uh, right? Maybe th there's a knowledge deficit there. Really hard to say unless we kind of dig into truly what's driving that individual at the time. Yeah, and you're right. There, there are, um, yeah, there, 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 there are medical conditions where um, you know people um, on a flight may be granted an exception by the airline. Um, I, I admittedly, I when I, you know, I, basically, I, I asked him somewhat aggressively, "Why aren't you wearing a mask?" Again, like I wasn't looking for an answer. Right. I'm sure in my tone or or my approach. So I was unfortunately framing a directive as a question. <laughs> <laughs> which is not a good habit and something I do try to avoid in the workplace. I mean, I didn't ask him an open-ended question um, that would evoke conversation. Like, you know, tell me what you know about wearing masks to protect others from a <laughs> pandemic. I mean, I, I, I didn't do that again. Like, I don't know if that would have been realistic to do. Um, I'm not the one who, I'm not the type of passenger who, um, tries to make, uh, as, as the movie fight club uh, referred to single serving friends. Like I, I'm the type <laughs> Who, start, who, who meets new lifelong friends on, uh, on various flights. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think that you also bring up a really great point. As human beings, we only have a certain amount of energy in our uh, batteries there, right, before we can recharge. And if every single communication you have with everybody, you're constantly trying to engage, 
page evoke focus, you're just not going to have it. You know, and I think it's, um, so I think you have to make decisions each time to say, what's my goal of this conversation? Is just to get something in this moment or am I trying to guide this person to make those intrinsic changes to your point, as opposed to the extrinsic changes, which were, you know, related to, you know, stopping you from talking at that moment. But again, I think it's, the important part here is, is that you experienced it, you were able to reflect on it, identify your opportunities and how it applies. And, you know, when it comes to coaching, and of course, you know, this isn't necessarily a real coaching session, although I do appreciate talking through it, mm-hmm. we would be spending more time saying, okay, so what are your opportunities moving forward, et cetera. And I think the point of this is really getting you to reflect on where you see your opportunities and then kind of fill in the blanks to help move uh, your behavior uh, to change moving forward. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, maybe I, I invite the two of you. Um, I'm really interested in your case studies. Do you want to transition into that? Yeah, so I'll intro this and then we'll do it. And then Brittany will debrief after each of the two sessions we're doing. And just so you you all know, and the people listening to this, and Mark, you know this, Brittany and I do a series of what we call mock talks, Mm -hmm. where they're a little bit longer between maybe 10 and 20 minutes, where we actually delve much further into different cases where Brittany plays the provider and I play the patient or I play the doctor and she plays, you know, the family member or she's the boss and I'm the employee. (laughs) Every month we do this and we really go deep into these conversations. So today is really, really just a brief interaction that we just sort of want to role play a little bit and uh, just assess and then sort of get your thoughts on it as well, Mark, if that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. So in this case, we just wanted to use the topic, of course, about masks, because that is one of the big topics of today. And in this case, I am a patient and Brittany is a provider. Brittany, what kind of provider are you? I'm his nurse care manager. And I'm just checking in with him to see how he's doing, you know, amongst this COVID crisis. Mm -hmm. That's right. So you're calling up and we're going to sort of delve into the phone call, in which case I'm starting the response. Brittany's going to respond. Then we're going to do a timeout and Brittany's going to talk about this example. Okay. So let's just get started. And here's next time you hear me talking, it'll be me as Mark, the patient. I can't wait until things get back to normal. I'm so sick of wearing a mask everywhere I go. You don't see the value in mask wearing? Not really. It seems like nobody knows for sure if they even work. And sometimes I go to the stores and people aren't always wearing them. Well, you can go to the CDC site. It has helpful evidence-based information. So what do we do there? We actually, we can refer back to uh, Mark Graben's example of the writing reflex, the R-I-G-H-T-I-N-G. We kind of just directed the patient, right, directly to a site. And we said, go ahead, go look. We didn't take the time to explore more about his values or what he already knows about it. Because one, one, I guess you know, one of my observations of the scenario there is that um, you, you assume that there was a knowledge gap. So tying it back to what Mark uh, Valenti talked about earlier, um, knowledge, importance, and confidence, either, of the, either or all of those three um, could be lacking in a certain scenario, right? Absolutely. Fair call out. And I think, you know, to your point, right, if... Brittany ended that part of it saying they should go to the CDC site and me as Mark, the patient may say, okay, I'll go check it out. You know, and I may be just doing that just like in your example on the plane, just to appease Brittany at that moment, you know, and in reality, I may be thinking, huh, she doesn't even know anything about me. Yeah. Right. 
or um, yeah. So yeah, um, that that's yeah, that's a really good scenario. Is there anything else that you wanted to kind of add? Yeah, I think the, the, the bottom line um, with that scenario, right, is as providers, as people, sometimes we can end up directing a little too much, um, you know, without effectively guiding or or digging appropriately um, or really getting to know, um, you know, other people's perspectives or point of view. So that was kind of just a, I'm going to do an information dump. Here you go. Have at it. It's really jump into the planning stage of motivational interviewing without mm-hmm. doing the other steps. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and can you, can you recap those for the listener? Um, the, those four steps before, or, you know, what, what, what the um, motivational interviewing approaches before we get to planning and talking about what to do and when. Absolutely. So a recap would be first is engaging, right? That's that rapport building with the patient. Um, the second step is focusing. That's where we're going to focus on the behavior change that's desired. In this case, um, it seems that we kind of want to explore the mask wearing. The third case would be engaging, right? That would be engaging Mark and trying to dig into what he already knows, what his values are and what his ideas are about mask wearing. And then the last is planning. So frequently the big faux pas you know, in, in hospital-based systems or in a lot of conversations is we take time to engage our patients, correct? And we jump all the way to the planning stage. Mm-hmm. We skip that focusing and evoking part in the middle, which I like to call the meat of the sandwich, right? Yeah. And it, it seems, I mean, and, you know, it seems like if we're trying to, if we want to help somebody efficiently, like you know, that, that, that efficiency of like, well, let's just jump. I know what they should do. I'm going to tell them and that, well, it's going to be efficient. That's probably not going to be effective though. That's right. It's about in some cases, especially in business healthcare, we're so concerned about time as we should be because it's limited. We say, all right, I gave this information to them. I check the box. I'm done. So you can have a one minute encounter with a provider and a patient and they may have dumped a bunch of information and checked the box but in the long run, the patient feels disengaged and are they really going home because health, health, uh, health happens in between doctor's visits? Have they made any changes at all versus, okay, well, I gave this to the patient and I'm done. Yeah. And so then you have a second little scenario to go through, right? Yeah. So we talked in the earlier scenario about you know, possibly directing too much. So let's take a look at this next scenario. It's going to be again between the provider, Brittany, who's a nurse care manager, checking in on Mark and the topic is mask wearing. So please, Mark. I can't wait until things get back to normal. I'm so sick of wearing a mask everywhere I go. You don't like wearing the mask. It seems so silly. I mean, people use whatever they want. They aren't regulated. seems like they're checking the box. You're unsure if it's worth doing. Exactly. So let's call a timeout and look at what was really ineffective about this approach. This was actually doing too little guiding. So the strategy of motivational interviewing is finding that balance between directing too much and not directing or not guiding enough. So she actually fails to explore Mark's barriers to help him make his decision. He just kind of, um, you know, she allows him to just kind of say it and she just focuses on his sustained talk. And she didn't even allow Mark to kind of explore challenging the status quo, as we talked about a little bit earlier. Do you want to add anything, Mark? 
No, I'm assuming you mean Mark Valenti and Mark Graven. There's too many marks on this call. Right? There so are yes. a lot of marks on this call. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. No, I think you did an excellent job of explaining that. It's really, you know, in, in healthcare, especially, we, there's a lot of training around empathy, you know, which is definitely an, an important part of communication. And it's the foundational part of motivational interviewing and the engaging step, particularly. But what often happens is, people struggle with how to guide the conversation after that. So they spend a lot of time with empathic statements and yeah. statements that really reflect the person's emotions and where they are. But if you get stuck there, then a frustration happens because the patient just continuously is, feels real connected to the provider. It feels like they're good friends, yeah. but changes don't happen. And then what happens eventually is the provider gets frustrated with the patient because they're not making changes. And then oftentimes they jump to planning and saying, okay, we've been talking for a while now. Here's what I need mm -hmm. you to do. And then it just, um, so it can be definitely a dangerous path to go down. Absolutely. And, and the odds of them going home and actually doing that, you know, whatever you end up dumping on them at the end um, are very slim. So, so and I, I think, way oh, to, I'm sorry, what was that? Oh, I just said that. So it's not the most effective way, right, to get our patients to change their behaviors. Yeah, I mean, my, my observation from this scenario there, like I think back within the motivational interviewing approach, uh, ORs as, as an acronym. Um, so, you know, open-ended questions, which I, you know, I think within the lean community, you know, we, we talk a lot about um, coaching by asking open-ended questions, which can, can be helpful in certain situations. Um, you know, affirmations, uh, like for example, uh, Mark Valenti um, uh, gave me some affirmations when we were talking um, earlier, which, um, it, it can be helpful in, in continuing the conversation and then, um, reflections. So, you know, open-ended questions, affirmations, reflections, and then, um, summaries. What, what I heard from you, Brittany, were reflections, but, but no questions. I mean, maybe could you elaborate Absolutely. on like, how can we help, um, know when it's helpful to ask an open-ended question versus when we should just reflect back what we're hearing from the other. Well, actually, it's great that you asked that. So you should always use double the reflections to questions. Yeah. So it's always really important, right? Because that's the part that promotes that partnership. That is the part that says, I'm here with you. I can see things from your point of view. If we get into too much question asking, too much of that evoking without taking the time to express any empathy at all, it can really feel like a questionnaire instead of a conversation. It can feel like a power struggle instead of a partnership. So, so I'm glad that you asked that. So there is an actual technique imbalance. In this particular example, this is almost like ruinous empathy. This is, uh, that's all she's doing is expressing empathy. She's not actually saying, oh, you don't like wearing the mask. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? So she doesn't even take the time to engage him to see his why. Yeah. She just kind of is like, yep, you don't like it. You're unsure if it's worth doing. And that's it. Almost, almost there's a balance right between caring, caring too much and, and seeming careless. Um, and I think it's pretty obvious where she is, you know, in this particular scenario. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I saw two different types of reflection. The first one, you don't like wearing the mask was pretty much repeating back what Mark had said. Um, and then the second reflection of you're unsure if it's worth doing, it seemed like the type of reflection where you're not just, it's not active listening of just repeating back what was said, but it, it's sort of a, a proposition. You're unsure if it's worth doing. 
And the response could have been, well, no, I'm not unsure. It's just, I, it's uncomfortable, right? So then that right. might move the conversation along in a different way. Absolutely. Well, and you call out a really good point, right? That that second one is a complex reflection. He didn't come out and say it was worth doing. We are making an assumption based on his comments of it seems so silly. I mean, people use, you know, whatever they want. They're not regulated. So we take all of those comments and we just make an assumption on how he's feeling. Now, if we were incorrect, hopefully the patient would correct us, but uh, very good catch there that, you know, it wasn't a, a, like a mirrored reflection, right. Of what he said. I didn't repeat it back to him. It's making an educated guess based on what he said about how he's feeling. Now, did you prepare a scenario that, that might demonstrate more, a more effective approach, um, or I don't know if we could try to make one up on the fly or what, I mean, like, I'm, I'm curious, well, I, like what an well, illustration of, of better, might look like in a scenario like this? I'm sorry. Go yeah, ahead. I think that's a great question. I think, uh, you know, it, here's, here's one key thing that could have been done differently that would have redirected the conversation. You know, again, we talked about the four steps of motivational interviewing, engaging, focusing, evoking, and planning. Again, the idea behind engaging is to build up that trust bank so you can guide the conversation toward the behavior change. So in this case, Brittany was already doing a great job of engaging me because she's meeting me where I am by saying, you don't like wearing the mask. And I say, it seems so silly. I mean, people use whatever they want. They aren't regulated. Seems like they are, seems like they're checking the box. So instead of continuously going down that pathway to be more effective, Brittany could say something like, seems like you have a lot of negatives about wearing the masks. What are some of the challenges with not wearing the mask? So I think it's, really getting that person to say, okay, you hear what I'm saying, but let me stop for a minute and say, what are the challenges of not wearing the mask? At which point Mark as the patient has an opportunity to say, well, you know, not wearing the mask means that I may be more prone to infect infections and blah, blah, blah. So I think it's, it's almost like this pivot where you build up the engagement bank, come up with, and you mentioned it, Mark, about open-ended questions used strategically to pull out that change talk. Right. It, well said. Yeah. And I think the other thing is too, we have a, there's a, a list of um, hypothetical questions in, in a, you know, the, the authors of the creators of motivational interviewing, this came up in one of their books where essentially you would invite the patient, the other person to explore these hypothetical situations where you'd say something like, what would it have to take for you to wear the mask where you have the other person envision in their life, what would have to happen for them to make this change? And it's hypothetical because it kind of gives people it doesn't seem as concrete. So people have an opportunity to explore what would it have to take? Yeah. And, um, you know, going back to your airplane example, Mark, um, another one from that hypothetical document that kind of just sprang into my head right now is, you know, what is the worst that could happen if you continue to be in public places without a mask and allowing them to ex explore all the risks possibly involved. And that right there would be change talk, right? Kind of challenging the status quo that I'm not going to wear a mask, but what are the risks of me not doing that? Hmm. Um, you just I, I paused because I was kind of thinking back to that um, <laughs> scenario, and I am going to have to fly once more <laughs> with the reload. Sit by somebody with no mask on. <laughs> uh, so, well, um, yeah. So I, it gives me opportunity to kind of um, prepare and think ahead uh, for uh, a strategy for this because I, I was caught off guard because you know again this particular airline. Um, very publicly has said masks are required 
And so I was expecting that that, <laughs> that required meant required. So, um, I'm, I'm a little bit better prepared um, for, for a different possibility here. So um, there's, there's so much food for thought here, um, you know, kind of related to not just the particulars of, um, you know, trying to build uh, support and commitment in, um, you know, wearing masks, but, you know, there, there, there are so many applications going back to, you know, um, you know, you, you, one of you mentioned huddle boards and the idea of, um, you know, leaders um, may feel ambivalent in the language of motivational interviewing. It's not that they're, they're not opposed to doing the huddle. They could articulate reasons why the huddles are important, which, you know, we might call that um, change talk, but then they also articulate um, sustained talk of why it's difficult um, to, 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 to be at those huddles every day. So I think, you know, there really is so much that's applicable um, in, in workplace scenarios, but um, maybe I'll you know, turn things back to each of you, Mark and Brittany, if you've you know, got some final thoughts that you would want to share to kind of um, tie things together and um, you know, just kind of summarize what, we've, what you've shared with us today. Yeah, no, thank you very much for that. So, you know, tying it all together, I think it's most important to remember, right, that this is not a magic trick, but communication, right? We always talk about communication. It's something we do every day and there's no really wrong way to communicate, but the way that you communicate can really change your outcomes. Um, you know, so we've provided a couple of examples about how we can pivot and promote autonomy and really um, put ourselves in other people's shoes, you know, take our judgment hats off and, and really create an open objective environment to really understand another human being uh, without jumping to conclusions. And by doing so, we're more likely to get a behavior change because it resides within um, when patients come up with things themselves or when people come up with their own reasons for changing, they're more likely to stick to it. Uh, so he maybe again, going back to the plane, would be more likely to, to don a mask maybe in the airport restaurant as well and uh, in the cab. And I will turn it over to Mark if you'd like yeah. to add anything else. Yeah. Mark Valenti. <laughs> yeah, I think... Um I, you're, you're right. I think calling out that it's not a magic trick that after this session that we're doing today, that we don't expect people to walk away and say, okay, I'm going to do everything differently. You know, there's some estimates that say it could take up to 300 hours of competent practice to become, uh, you know, able to use this approach. So I think, again, it is really up to, you know, the listeners to decide, again, on their own level of importance and confidence and knowledge, how much they'd like to explore. So again, I think tying it all together, these are just some ideas, high-level overview. There's lots of opportunities to learn and grow beyond this, of course. Yeah, and I think, you know, one other reflection, you know, I'll share based on, you know, what, what you've shared, what we've talked about today and, and my study of motivational interviewing. There, there's, there's a big difference um, between compliance and real commitment. And, you know, I think a lot of these directive, um, writing reflex approaches might at best get compliance. So that guy next to me, if I had somehow been scary, which I, I don't think it was really, I think I was direct, but you know, like, I don't, let's say, you know, he might've been in, intimidated into compliance, which to your point might not have really led to any real um, behavior change. Um, he might be on a podcast complaining about me. <laughs> right. <laughs> For how I intimidated him into wearing a mask. And then, like you said, he's not more willing to wear masks in other situations. In fact, I mean, so I mean, you know, this is 
not so much a summary, but I'll bring up a, a, a new point of like, what, what's the risk of, um, you know, a def- triggering a defensive reaction when we're too directive in a way that makes someone dig in their heels? Have you seen that occur? Perfect example. Right? You know, as human beings, we don't like to be told what to do. We are autonomous and we like to make our own choices. And I think it's interesting how much that this stuff comes out now whenever we're being told that we have to comply and wear masks and do all these things. And then you see this sort of this resistance attitude where people are saying, you know, it's not something I want to do. You can't tell me what to do. So that is the other risk as well. You have a risk of not only having people not make a change, you have them doing the opposite saying, you know what, I'm not going to wear a mask anywhere now. And you also risk damaging relationships because to your point, that person could be going and complaining about you. And in the workplace, you have a risk of damaging those relationships and eroding any engagement that you've already done. Well, and in, in addition to that, you know, about people not being wanting to be told what to do. Um, I'm going to share just a brief personal story. Whenever I was little, I didn't like to be told what to do. So I started out very young. Um, whenever I was about two years old, I thought my name was Brittany Don't because it was always <laughs> Brittany Don't Do That, Brittany Don't Go There. And it wasn't because I was bad and I tried to, but it was because I would only do the opposite of what my mother wanted. <laughs> so if she wanted me to put my toy away, she'd say, Brittany, don't you put that toy in the toy box. Mm-hmm. So what would Brittany do? She would put the toy in the toy box. Yeah. So, um, I, uh, I told some lady in the grocery store, she said, Oh, you're such a nice little girl. What's your name? And I said, Brittany don't. Uh, so that, it starts. That, yeah. Well, and that, that, yeah. I mean, I think one, one thing I have a better empathy for, um, from studying motivational interviewing is recognizing that that is a natural response that, uh, that, that pushback or defensiveness or, um, so one one other thought, like I do want to bring it back to um, the airplane scenario. So you know, when I think also around um, flight attendants being placed in a position now to navigate this requirement, um, you know, I, I had a couple of conversations with um, you know somebody you know frequent flyer um, support team at the airline um, where I'd complained and they reached out, and you know one thing they brought up was. Well, you know, we, we don't want to put the flight attendants in the position of getting into conflict. And, you know, the airline had said publicly, like, well, we don't want some situation to escalate to the point where we're having to divert a plane and, and you know, oh law enforcement involved and inconvenience people. But, yeah, I think my, my, my question for you and, you know, um, like, I, you know, it seems like the airline, you know, uh, it seems like there would be an opportunity maybe to um, provide some skills, whether that's motivational interviewing and otherwise to flight attendants so they don't have to just fall back on being directive. That's right. Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting, right? It's almost so much communication is geared trying to evoke fear. And if you don't do this, here's what's going to happen, whether it's, you know, getting law enforcement involved or, you know, you're going to lose a foot if you don't manage your blood sugar, et cetera. So I think it's, um, you know, if you're asking, can motivational interviewing apply to this situation? It absolutely can. Mm-hmm. You can apply in any situation where people are looking to guide behavior change. So if anybody from the airlines is listening, you can always reach out to us for additional feedback and thoughts on how to incorporate motivational interviewing into your approach. And I hope, I hope people will do that. And um, if, if, if one other plug I was going to make just from a, a previous episode before talking about how people can contact you, um, podcast uh, episode 292, 
was a conversation with the three authors of a book called Motivational Interviewing for Leadership, which um, I, I, I've come to rec- start recommending that as a great um, you know, kind of first read for people that are really interested in applying this in the workplace. And, you know, I think one, one thing that came through very strongly in that book is the idea that we, the, the, we can't use motivational interviewing. We shouldn't use these tactics to manipulate somebody into doing what we want them to do. It's really about strengthening the commitment to what that, the, the person that we're trying to help or coach, it's, it's got to be their decision. And we have to respect that, which I struggled with that again. In I, I struggled to respect his decision to not wear a mask. Yeah, that, great connection back to that. You know, it, again, going back to what Brittany said about magic tricks, this isn't a way to get people to do whatever it is you want them to do that they don't want to do. It's almost like they're a passive participant. This is really about empowering that person to you know, respect their autonomy to make decisions. And I know Dan Pink actually talks about autonomy being an important part as well. So back to the point here, um, you know, to wrap up, if, if people would like to contact um, either of you, Mark or Brittany, or the both of you, whether they're from an airline or, or any um, setting, <laughs> how, how can people reach out? If you want to mention your YouTube channel and, and sure. how they can learn more about that. Yeah. So, you know, we can give the emails or, or if Mark, I know in the past you've put our emails somewhere. So if that's something that you feel people can look mm-hmm. at, uh, but yeah, I would direct people to our f- activation station on YouTube. If you just search for activation station, uh, Brittany and I put a lot of different webinars out there uh, that actually go through not only concepts, but case studies. Thank you for asking about that. And, and Brittany, anything else to add about, um, contact or how to find you. So you're, are you both on LinkedIn? A lot of people try to reach out. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Um, we are also happy to connect, uh, you know, with, uh, anybody wanting to learn more on LinkedIn. We, we share content there. We also share our case studies that go onto activation station there. Um, and it's, you know, a great, great platform for communication. All right. Well, um, thank, thank you for, um, make yourself available that way. I'll post links, um, to your LinkedIn profiles and the YouTube channel uh, on uh, the blog post uh, for this episode. But um, our guests, uh, just to wrap up here again, our guests have been uh, Brittany Wilson and Mark Valenti. Um, thank, thank you so much for continuing this this conversation. Um, you know, for some people, this is um, you know maybe the first introduction to motivational interviewing. Um, but I, I appreciate what you're doing to help further. Uh, my own learning and you know the the learning of the other listeners here so thank you both very much our pleasure you're welcome thanks for listening this has been the lean blog podcast for lean news and commentary updated daily visit www.leanblog.org if you have any questions or comments about this podcast email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com